Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. What a beautiful day out. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to cover a lot of ground. If you were following us on Facebook, you know that we are having a great giveaway. We'll tell you about the prizes a little bit more. But I posted my article on outdoor survival. And during the course of today's show, we are going to give away uh, prizes with three trivia questions based on outdoor survival. And we're going to discuss it at two or three times during the show. Um, with all the people getting outdoors, I think it's important. Now, this isn't going to be this naked and afraid, you're out with nothing. This is you're going on your day hike, you're hunting, you're camping, you're fishing, you get lost or injured. What do you do? What do you need to have with you? so that uh, inconvenience doesn't turn into a tragedy. And we're going we're gonna to talk pretty good about that. So if you go outside a lot, it'll pay um, to listen and maybe even win a nice prize. Also, Rocky Mountain National Park opened this week. We will have Kirk's Fly Shop on in the second hour, and we're going to talk about not only the fishing, the fly fishing up in the park, but we're going to talk about the Big Thompson is fishing fantastic. And there's some actual... Even with the high water, good floats going on the Colorado River. Of course, Nate Zielinski will join us. And in our Colorado Clays segment today, we are going to um, talk about um, the aspect of dominant eye and how it affects your shooting. So we got a lot to cover today. But right now, let's go right to the phones. And joining us from discount uh, Denver Discount Tackle uh, Fishing Tackle is Austin Park. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you on. Now, you and I are going to cover some ground this morning. We're going to talk a lot of fishing, but we're going to talk some outdoor survival. We're going to have a trivia question while you're on the air. I don't know if it'll be the first or second segment. But why don't we start off by telling people what the trivia prizes are today, the three we're going to give away. Absolutely. So we are giving away three Leatherman folding knives that have approximate values of $40 each. They're really nice blades, super sharp and, and well put together. So looking forward to meeting some folks in stores finally now and over, over the last little bit. Going to love to give away some of those knives. And what we're going to do is I posted an article that I written, wrote for the Denver Post on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I posted that article um, Wednesday during the week. And it's a pretty good outline of my opinions, along with ones I've gathered from others. Now, just to qualify this, I've been doing uh, outdoor activities all my life. I've been involved in search and rescue. I've done training courses. I've been through training courses. And I've interacted with a lot of people. And not everybody is going to agree 100% on my feeling of what's better and my feeling of what's worse. And you and I are going to talk about that. But for sakes of the trivia today, my opinion is what counts. So, <laughs> so what, you will do, what we'll do is um, the answers are actually in there. We may talk about the answers during the show and actually give them to you. But the answers, we will at some point, maybe after they've been won, or maybe we'll give one out ahead of time and you'll have a heads up. But the answers are definitely in that article. And we're going to talk about that. And, and when we do, uh, we'll have some fun with it too. But before we even get to that, um, Austin, the people are getting out. It's a beautiful weekend. They want to go fishing. Let's kind of go around and update people on what's going on in angling right now. 
there's all kinds of stuff going on right now. And really, if you're a fisherman in Colorado, particularly one that likes targeting warm water species, this is the time that you live for right now. So water temperatures in the majority of our front range lakes are starting to reach toward that 70 degree mark. Walleyes are, are very much done spawning and moving into their, their uh, summertime patterns. Yesterday, we found them at Cherry Creek in a shallow of six feet of water, uh, and they are very active when they're up shallow like that on anything from jigs and leeches all the way through your various blade baits like a Johnson Thin Fisher or Hutch Blade. Even swim baits such as a, a Berkeley Ripple Shad can be very effective right now. But the other thing that you'll find as you move out to your eastern plains lakes, whether it's southeast or northeast or into the, the edge of Nebraska, these walleyes are going to start moving into your structure as well. So by structure on the edges, I mean trees and weeds and bushes, and, and you can really catch them bass fishing. And then the beautiful thing about doing that is that you'll catch a lot of bass doing the same thing. So uh, it's a, a fantastic way to go right now. Uh, panfish are up shallow, and you can catch them on anything from live minnows to little roadrunner jigs, small curly tail grubs on weedless heads can all be really effective. And, um, you know, the, the smallmouth around town are going as well. So we're seeing a little bit of spawn mode going on at Chatfield at the moment, but still some very, very good numbers, uh, on, especially on the edges of the gravel pits right now on things like wacky rigs, Senkos, and Ned rigs all have been incredibly effective. You know, I want to go back to the panfish a little bit. Uh, we talk about panfish, and we uh, we we kind of covered the ponds pretty extensively over the last few weeks. We've talked about the panfish and the bass are going in the ponds, and that's still going on. It's a great way to get out. They're still very catchable. They're still very active. But why don't you take me maybe through some of your more favorite of the reservoirs for panfish, whether it's Pueblo for crappies or somewhere in town for bluegills or crappies or out on the eastern plains. Where are some of the places for crappies, bluegills, perch that you like to go? So in the metro area, Cherry Creek has a very nice population of white crappie. And then you can slip over to Quincy and catch a good population of black crappie over there, particularly with how much timber and, and bushes are in that, that reservoir. But one of my favorites, as you mentioned there, is, is Pueblo Reservoir. And the nice thing about that lake is that the water level, especially over the last couple of years, has remained very, very consistent. And with that consistency on that water level, uh, those, those panfish are really being able to spawn very, very well down there. And the, the crappie population has just been booming. So getting on the outside edges of your trees and all the way into your trees and just dabbling on the tip of your rod, uh, you can maybe get a little longer rod or fish a slip bobber. But working those edges, you can try a live minnow. You can try a little panfish assassin or a small gulp minnow underneath that, that bobber. But especially the slip bobbers, you can pitch them right on the edge of the trees and just, just kind of wiggle your rod tip a little bit and give a little vertical jig presentation right on the, the edges of those. And, and you can absolutely hammer them. But the one thing I do want to make mention of is that unlike a walleye that will really pick something up off the bottom, usually a crappie is not going to be eating something that's down from them. A lot of times you have to have uh, eye level or up for the majority of the times. So positioning yourself maybe slightly higher than you normally would for some of those fish suspended in those trees can be definitely more effective. Well, I couldn't agree more. And you mentioned the slip bobber. I want to, uh, if people, you know, bobbers sometimes are thought of as not cool, but even a clip-on bobber, if you don't have to fish too deep, but a slip bobber, it reels right down to the bait so you've got a compact little package that you can cast back into that brush and then your line slips through till it gets to a bobber stop to the appropriate depth and because as you mentioned crappies tend to feed up you can keep adjusting that depth until you find where it seems to be most effective but it's such an incredible way to present a lure and you made a comment you can jig it in place 
And people don't think about that. You know, you cast it out, even in open water, but in the trees or whatever, and it, if there's a little bit of wave action, it's going to give it a little jigging motion on its own. But you certainly can give action to that, and you hardly move it any distance at all when you do that. Exactly. And that, that can be very effective. And then, you know, your line will go down, so it, it's sitting toward the bottom. You can try a weedless jig head a lot of times if you're in the heavy timber. But the one thing I do want to mention, that if anyone's out there fishing a slip bobber, one of the biggest things that I see guiding that people make a mistake with is they try and overly set the hook with a slip bobber. When that bobber goes down, the biggest key is to just raise that rod tip and just start reeling at a fairly aggressive pace. And that will hook your fish 90% of the time. But setting the hook, you may only get 20% of your fish. So it's very critical to not be lifting and doing a hard hook set because of that additional slack line that goes out on the water and then down to your bait from the bobber. That's exactly right, because they set the hook with the line tight to the bobber and not tight to the lure. And they exactly. set it, and it just moves the bobber, and you just you just alert the fish. If you are going to hook set at all, at least reel down till you feel the fish, and then maybe give exactly. a little sweep additional because – because, yeah, you're right. You've got to reel down till you're tight to the bait and the fish where the bobber is and keeping your line in a bow. Um, another technique that I like on the eastern plains a lot where they don't have, where the, when the water's not up in the trees and where the crappies maybe are, maybe they're relating to a riprap bank or something. And that's to take a small jig and swim it. But you have to almost cast it out, count it down and swim it till you start getting hits. And then don't go deeper than that. Do you try that technique at times? I I have, absolutely. And and going with something like a roadrunner jig and a small curly-tailed grub that you can swim into the open water is a very good technique. But just as you mentioned, the whole key is, to, is consistency. So as you're counting that down, you have to know the exact level that you're at every single time because the majority of your fish are going to be sitting at that same level. So if you're fishing deep every single time, you may be going right underneath them. So making sure that you're consistent on what you're doing and then when you get that bite, Really ensuring that you know exactly what you did so that you could duplicate it will really help success in the long run. All right, let's let's switch gears and let's talk about maybe some trout and some other other things that are going on. We did get a question on the text. Have you heard anything about Twin Lakes? Somebody would like the an twin, update on that. Twin Lakes, I haven't heard a ton of reports up there except for one. Um, he said it was a little bit slow for him, but he was catching some lake trout uh, on some tube jigs near the outlet area. So I, I have not heard a whole lot other than that particular one. Uh, Twin Lakes is kind of interesting because it, it kind of flies under the radar for a lot of reports that I hear. I don't really make it up that way a heck of a lot. But um, right now, the more of the lake trout reports that I'm hearing have been coming from Williams Fork. Uh, Williams Fork, there's not been a ton of fish being caught, but the fish that are being caught are very, very nice. Uh, a lot of 30-inch-plus fish and I know everyone makes mention of it, but if anyone gets a, a real big lake trout like that, the importance of releasing something like that to help preserve our fishery is incredibly important. Um, but then additionally, Granby, although not producing the, the giants for the most part, has been doing better for numbers of lake trout with a few big ones mixed in on top of it. And then I have been hearing that some of those brown trout have been very active along the shorelines, particularly the rocky shorelines up at Granby. Yeah, I, I hear that all the time, and I've actually fished those. I'll throw in two cents on Twin Lakes, too. I, you don't hear a lot on Twin Lakes, but from anglers I know and from the parks and wildlife, there is a pretty substantial lake trout population in Twin Lakes. Oh, and yeah. I can't remember which area. Of the two, one fish is better for numbers and one for size. And of the size, uh, there's some giants in there, some real giants. And a lot of people stay closed mouth about it because they, 
you know how you won't believe this, but some fishermen don't want to give up their spot. <laughs> yes, but they're um, they do have uh, it. You know, it's definitely worth some effort. And there's other trout in there too, obviously. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned and the other one that. I was going to say just real quick, the other one that goes under the radar a lot that I hear very good things about, kind of hush-hush, is uh, a Turquoise Lake. That's another one. If some people are looking for good ones, that's uh, another thought to, to maybe think about heading up there. You're absolutely right. And there's, you know, a lot of these high mountain lakes are going to start opening up. You know, Rocky Mountain National Park open. We're going to talk about that later. Um, things like Joe Wright, eventually, that, well, they probably aren't ice-free yet. We'll get there soon, but Chambers and Long Draw. So we're going to start getting more and more places for trout fishing too in general just for rainbows what are you hearing both down low and uh, across the state so around the front range everything for the rainbows has been slowing down a little bit uh chatfield and aurora are still seeing some rainbows being caught but places like cherry creek they're slowing down quite a bit so if you're thinking about trout i would certainly be thinking about heading to the high country uh particularly up in south park at the moment spinny mountain has been fishing very good and then the other lake i've been hearing just incredible things about is up at antero I'm sure Nate can go into some additional detail with him guiding up there consistently, but um, up toward that region, definitely a a thought process to go and throw some tube jigs or some Tasmanian devils. Uh, Those both are going to be really productive. And then if you're a fly angler, you're going to start to be seeing some damselflies coming off and we're really in the the peak of the coronamids at the moment. So that's been very, very good up that way. And then going a little bit further North, uh, going up toward places like steamboat and stagecoach, both those particular state parks uh, are open at the moment and, the fishing has been fantastic. Uh, the pike's been a little bit more slow at stagecoach than what I've normally been hearing, but the, the trout action for large trout, both at steamboat and stagecoach, has been been good. Uh, a lot of tube jigs up there, and then I really like gulp minnows on those particular bodies of water. Working them along the developing weed edges uh, can really bode really well for some great success. Now, um, <clears throat> what about the weekend angler that just wants to go out with some power bait, you sell a lot of power bait. We know how effective it is. What if you're, you know, not into maybe a lot of presentations, but you just want to go somewhere and throw out some power bait and have a chance at some rainbows. Give me a couple spots. Terry all definitely comes to to mind first. Uh, That one right there is is certainly a good one. And then the other one that everyone, I'm not a hundred percent on the status of everyone. If you're anyone thinking about heading to Georgetown, that could potentially still be closed until the end of the month being in Clear Creek County. So definitely uh, think about that. But the other one that's kind of close to town that's at a little bit higher elevation is Monument Lake and Monument. It gets uh, regular stockings of trout and you can catch a lot of fish there. And then another uh, unique spot that's not talked about very much is Gross Reservoir. So Gross is within an hour of town easily. Lots of rainbows up in there with a shot at some larger fish as well. All right. Now we're going to change things up. I'm going to tell a little story when I was out in the outdoors about how I, well, I wasn't, I don't think I was in danger, but I survived obviously. And, and I want people to understand the first trivia question at the end of the story are going to be, what did I do wrong here? And I'll give you a few hints after I tell the story. And then we're going to come back and talk survival. And, uh, you know, you and I are going to agree on a lot of things like planning and things like that. I, uh, I was out, this is back in my Minnesota days. And I had a, uh, I wanted to go out and check some game trails and it was getting a little later in the day than probably should get out. This is winter and the temperature that night was going to be about 20 below. But I dressed properly. I had the right clothes with me. I went out. I went on the game trail. I realized I was getting back further in the woods than I should have. I got a little careless. And that's not the answer to the question, though. 
And I realized that walking out in the North Woods in Minnesota in the dark would be very easy to get turned around and really get lost deep in the woods. So I, I was dressed for the weather. I started a fire. I built a small lean-to to keep the heat of the fire in there. And if I stayed awake, I was going to be fine, and I would walk out at daylight. Well, if something would happen, if I would have fallen asleep, search and rescue would have probably taken a long time to find me. I, um, fortunately, the moon came up. And I was able to, it was like daylight, and I saw my tracks, and I walked out. But in my article, there's one key. The article I posted on Wednesday, there's one key that's part of the planning process that I didn't do, and I didn't mention it here, so that's going to be your key. We're going to take a a break, um, Austin, and when we come back, you and I are going to talk about that planning process, and we'll probably even mention all the different keys at that time. And whoever is the first one to text 303-713-1043, that's the standard fan text number, 303-713-1043 with the correct answer to what mistake I made, um, they'll get one of those uh, Leatherman knives. So, Austin, we'll have to put you on hold. We'll come back and talk some survival right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are talking to Austin Parr about both um, fishing and outdoor survival. Good morning again, Austin. Absolutely, Terry. This, you know, survival is just something that I think a lot of people don't think about when it comes to, to preparation. They think about getting out hunting and fishing, but I just, as far as survival is concerned, I think it's a really important topic to touch on. Well, right now, with so many people getting outdoors, and by the way, we have a correct answer to the trivia. I'll cover that in just a minute. But, you know, and they think, well, I'm just going for a day hike. The weather's great down here. Well, it's not necessarily great up there, or it can change so quickly. And we're going to go through some of that, you and I. Um, first of all, I think most, the most critical time for your safety when you're going into the outdoors, whether you're going hiking, fishing, hunting, you're going camping, you're just taking the family on a backpack trip, uh, whether you're just out strolling a trail, is you're planning your thought and preparation before you go. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, people really don't consider that very much. They say, okay, we're just going to go up and we're going to be fine, but they don't consider what potentially could happen or or it's just like anything. You know, it's preventative maintenance trying to make sure that, that something is not going to happen. But if it does, being prepared for it is, is critical. Now, I'm going to take you through what I did wrong on my trip, and then you and I will go through the planning a little bit, how it should go. And what I did wrong is I didn't tell anybody where I was going. I just went. I was dressed properly. I had the right layers. I had the right clothing. I had the right equipment with me to survive. But how long might I have been out there in the Northwoods had I really gotten lost? They wouldn't have even known where to start searching until they found my truck. They, they yeah. just, they, you know, and I could have been in a hundred places around, you know, that aren't far from where I lived in Northern Minnesota because the, the whole area was pretty much wilderness. And so by not telling something and I, so when you're doing the planning process and you and I'll go through some of these things and how you approach them, but before you leave, tell somebody where you're going. If you change and go to a different place, at least send them a text or something because having been a search and rescue, knowing where to start, just may, we may get to you 
that day if we know where you're at, if you get reported missing. If not, it could be days or hours or who knows how long. Now, the things that I'm going to mention, I'll ask what you think. To me, the number one thing you got to watch out for, for most people, especially day hikes, is hypothermia. And I'm going to talk Absolutely. more about that later in the hour. But obviously, your clothing is very important, right? Definitely. And, and the, the, the type of clothing that you're putting on, not only quantities, but making sure, especially as you're heading up to the mountains, making sure you're, you're doing a lot of synthetics and avoiding a lot of your cotton materials is absolutely critical. Yeah, there's a saying in the outdoors that cotton kills. And there's a reason for that. It absorbs moisture. Cotton's great if you're in the Sahara Desert or if you're walking around the house, it's comfortable. But hypothermia is going to probably be your biggest challenge. And by the way, hypothermia can set in at 60 degrees. The most common temperature is 50 degrees. People think you have to be, you know, 20 below. Most time when you're out when it's 10 or 20 below or even 30 or 40 above, you're really dressed for it. It's those in-between times when you didn't bring the right clothing and didn't wear the right layers. And then once you get hypothermia, you get in severe trouble. So, so dressing properly, you know, avoiding cotton under layers, putting on, we have so many great synthetics now that wick away from the body and then some kind of an outer shell and take some kind of a windbreaker or shell with you. Even if you don't wear it on a day hike, they roll up so small now and they'll make such a difference. Don't you believe? Especially don't you if agree? you're heading up to, oh, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, especially if you're heading up to any type of high elevation situation where the weather can change so quickly, you can get into a situation where you're all of a sudden disoriented after a big storm that comes through. You get into the wrong draw. You're wet, sun setting, and all of a sudden you're in trouble. Well, and that brings up another point: know how to navigate. Have things with you, like have both a compass and a GPS. Yes. Absolutely. GPS can fail. You can run out of batteries. It can get wet and get ruined, whereas a compass, you're in much better position. And a lot of people think that they can just navigate with how the sun's going down or anything, especially in Colorado. But you can be into the wrong drainage. You can, can all of a sudden get go the wrong way. And when you're out in the forest and you're in the national forest and you're dealing with, with places that are literally hundreds of thousands of acres large and you're in the wrong draw, you can all of a sudden things start looking the same. One of the main things of using a compass, and I'm always amazed by how many people in Colorado don't use a compass just because of what you say, they think they can triangulate off a mountain, is look at a map before you go. Study it a little bit and at least know general directions that you could go in where you would intersect a river or a road. Because once you intersect one of those, and if you've studied the terrain, you may know where that goes. Now, a river can be bad because you could come to a cliff or a waterfall and not be able to traverse it. But at least know a general direction that will bring you to safety. Absolutely. And and going in that direction uh, can can really, you know, knowing that piece of information can can save your life and and save a lot of of discomfort uh, from having to happen. Well, and then I want to address some of the, um, when people pack for what they would call a survival kit, they're going up the mountains, but if they would get lost or injured, I, I do these, these survival shows once or twice a year. And I always ask people, what do you need with you? And so many people say food and water. And when I was in survival training, they used to tell us the three, 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 three um, scenario. You can go three minutes without air. You can go three hours without shelter. In most situations, you can go up to three days without water. 
and you can go up to three weeks without food. Now, not that food isn't going to make you more comfortable and maybe help you feel better if you're out there and something's going on, and you should always stay properly hydrated. And maybe as the fourth or fifth item in my survival kit, I may have some water purification tablets. But I'm looking at, and I, I'm my three main things are always going to be signaling, shelter, and fire. And I don't know, what, what priorities do you want to add, or is there things you do that may be a little different there? You know, the, the fire is always a big deal for me. And making sure the other thing that I always carry is some form of a, a multi-tool to be able to potentially build a shelter and, and have a tool to be able to cut something down with. But uh, having a nice fire starter that's waterproof, I like a, a flint along with a magnesium flint stick. Uh, those guys really work well. And if you can have your knife there with you and, and be able to find some dry kindling, that can help in a big, big way uh, to, to get a signal fire not only, but then also a fire that can settle you down and make sure that you're not panicking into a situation that has you, it'll let you stay in a, in a particular position. I couldn't have said it better. We're going to have to t- wrap this up in just a couple minutes, but or maybe it's a few seconds. But do you sell fire starter kits at the store? Unfortunately, we don't do a lot of survival as far as fire starter kits down there. However, certainly we have a selection of the knives as we are going to be giving away t- uh, today. All right. And what I'm going to tell people is carry two forms of a fire starter with you. A lighter or matches are fine, but the metal ones you mentioned, doesn't matter if they get wet, they burn extremely hot, and they don't take up any room, so they're great. Um, I'm going to talk more about survival later on this hour, and then again, we have two more. Tell people again about the knife, and then we're going to let you go. Absolutely. So we're giving away three different knives. One of them's already given away, it sounds like. But uh, they're made by Leatherman. They're a folding pocket knife that uh, I've been, I like a lot, about a $40 value each. And if people want more information, they listen to us talk fishing, they want to get some fishing gear, tell them how they find you or book a guide group with you. How do they find you? Absolutely. I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're at 2645 South Santa Fe Drive, which is six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right, my friend, stay safe and uh, go out and catch some fish. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, as always, Terry. I appreciate it. You bet. You're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Howard Horton. Good morning, Howard. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing great, and people are just loving to get outdoors right now. They're looking for things to do. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of people doing staycations rather than traveling. I noticed on the website Parks and Wildlife yesterday that the cabins and yurts and group camping is starting to open on some restricted and limited bases. So we're we're adding more and more resources that are becoming available to the public, and the weather is getting great. And one of the activities people love when they get out there is fishing. And we got a pretty neat weekend coming up that people can take advantage of, don't we? Yes, we do, Terry. Um, and I think you've hit it exactly on the head. I think people, um, you know, with the restrictions and things that are in place, people are looking for, for ways to get out and engage in healthy family activities. And this coming weekend is Free Fishing Weekend. Um, free Fishing Weekend is always the first full weekend in June, and this is a great opportunity to, um, you know, take your, take your kids out fishing, take your friends, um, you know, just get outside, um, practice all those social distancing, but fishing lends itself to that just by its very nature. 
It does. If you get closer than six feet to another angler, you've probably got more troubles than social distancing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to be untangling rods and cutting lines and redoing stuff. So, you know, yeah. you guys can figure but, out how but, to get to a place. But in all honesty, you know, people are people are pulling out equipment from their garages and basements that they haven't used for a while. And they're saying, or they're going and buying some inexpensive equipment to give it a try. And they're saying, boy, do we want to get back into fishing? You know, do we want to buy licenses? Do we want to make the jump? Well, here's next weekend is a chance for you to uh, not have to buy the license. And then I'll, and I'll talk a little bit about maybe the equipment in a minute. But tell people who needs a license regularly and who who doesn't. And then, you know, next weekend, nobody needs one. So kind of go through the requirements. Sure. So in general, um, anyone who's 16 years of age or older is going to need a fishing license. Anyone younger than 16 uh, can fish without a fishing license, and they can take a full bag limit, which varies by reservoir, but in general, that's for trout. Um, and so uh, anyone, there's also, we also have a youth license, which is a nice thing that we've added in here uh, with the changes to the regulations here a little while back. And so that's for residents that are age 16 to 17, and that license uh, this year is $9.85. So that's a, a much cheaper option um, if you have some some young folks in your house that are looking to get started in fishing as well. Um, and then, you know, all of your adults, basically age 18 to 64, that license for them, if they're a resident is around $35. And then um, our senior licenses, those are uh, about $10, $9.85, I think is what those are. So, um, and those are annual those, prices. Those are annuals. And actually what's kind of nice too, uh, just recent changes of some of the things that we've done with our licensing structure to make things kind of line up a better is now our fishing license is actually a 13 month season. So it becomes available, um, you know, like this year it came available March 1 and it goes until March 31st of the following year. So um, you get, you get an extra month of fishing for that same yeah, thing. And it, yeah, it's really, um, it's really an inexpensive commitment, uh, to go out and do fishing, even if you're a family. But this next weekend, you know, and some people will buy one-day licenses, and you can do that. They're available, but you don't have to buy too many of those where it just makes sense at the price to buy an annual license. But now you're going out. Now you've been wanting to take the kids to the little pond by your house. We've covered that a lot. In fact, if people go to my Facebook page, um, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, both um, Paul Winkle from the Denver area and and uh and Ben from the uh, Longmont area, the biologists, gave really good um, podcasts on fishing for ponds and small lakes and areas around them uh, that you can go out. You don't have to go far from home, and now you can give it a try. The one thing I will tell people, if you have those old fishing rods and you haven't fished for years, uh, probably put some new line on them. It won't cost you that much and just add line to them. It's pennies to go to somebody like Discount Tackle or one of the big box stores and just have them string some line, uh, line on your rod. But now if people are ready to go, but they, they're not sure where and, and they don't, you know, they can't find the podcast. Parks and Wildlife has a lot of resources on their website, don't they? Yes, we do. We have a, a lot of resources. And I, I think, you know, what's kind of interesting about this year is, you know, I think in the past, maybe people were fishing and they're like, okay, well, I, I want to go to, you know, some big name reservoir or river that they've always heard of or they've always fished. Well, here's an opportunity this year to 
explore new waters that are close to home and easy to find that you can do in an afternoon, in an evening, maybe in the morning before it gets hot. And so if you go to our website, we have lots of uh, different things. So uh, one thing is the fishing atlas that we have, which is a great tool. You can put in your address where you're at there and then select, you know, within five miles, 10 miles, 25 miles, whatever you wanted to do. And then, you know, maybe you're going to hop on your bike and go and take the local bike paths. But it'll show you all the bodies of water. Um, it'll show you what's been stocked in them. It'll show you, do they have restrooms? Do they have, um, you know, ADA facilities? It'll show you all this kind of information that's there. It'll even tell you, um, you know, when it was stocked last, I believe, because it links to the stocking report on there as well. And then in addition to that, we have the fishing app, which you can go and download um, on, onto any of your, your smartphone devices. Um, and that phishing app as well has kind of links into that similar database and that you can go and select places that you'd want to go or you're interested in or that are close to where you're at. You can click on it. It'll take you there. It'll tell you what fish species are in there. It'll even give you the phone number and contact information for the local officers, and you can reach out to them and ask them about what the fishing's been like or is there spots to go. Um, so, I mean, just great tools that there's just a wealth of information that we're trying to put into people's hands that they can access 24-7 whenever they want, you know, cause we're all, you know, busy and maybe you're planning that trip the night before or late and, you know, you don't have normal business hours, but you still want to, you know, have a good trip planned out. Well, and a lot of times like with both that Atlas and the app, but the Atlas, I like to look at it and see if there's little streams or ponds that maybe I haven't explored, like you saw that are listed there. But with the app, I might be out fishing somewhere else or just out for a drive or a hike or a walk. And I'll say, well, I've never really thought about that body of water. I bring it up on the app, and I know right away if it's something worth further exploration or I want to plan a trip to. So those resources, you know, and the, nowadays we have all those resources at the touch of a finger when we're out and about, so we can get to them, get to them so quickly. So tell me now, if we get past, people don't need a license next Saturday and Sunday. That's all day. But let's say we get past this now. People really want to go. How do I buy a license now with all the COVID things going on? Do I have to go somewhere? What, how can I purchase a fishing license? Um, well, the, all the standard places, if they're open, apply. You know, um, anywhere basically that sells fishing equipment is probably going to sell one of our licenses. But if you don't want to go into any place or do any of that, um, you can buy our fishing licenses online, no problem. So you can just go onto our website, click on there, like buy and apply, and, and go to and buy your fishing license do a screenshot um, after you complete the transaction of your, um, they call it a TAN transaction number, and you have that, that will work for your officers out in the field until, because your license is going to come in the mail, um, you know, a week or two later. But that, I mean, you can go fishing right then and show that to officers, and that will work as your license, you know, and, until the paper one arrives in the mail. Now, one last thing I want to talk to you about, and that's the value of getting outdoors, whether you're fishing or hiking. I've preached that. I've been evangelistic about it my whole life, that going outdoors brings a value system and a way to bond with friends and family members that no other activity does. We've got a lot of people out there now, but we really, we're not discouraging anybody from getting outdoors, but we are wanting them to act responsibly, wouldn't you? You know, I know that's the message from Parks and Wildlife. Yes, yes. You know, we want people to get outside and take advantage um, of the outdoors. Um, people have been doing that. Our parks are at record numbers and things like that. The people have been doing it. And we just want to make sure that people are, are maintaining, you know, the, the following the guidelines and restrictions that are set in place and doing things safely and just using some common sense 
um, you know, with the times that we live in and doing things correctly. And But you've hit it on the head. I mean, I think there is a deep-rooted, and they're seeing it time and time again and, and starting to show it in more and more research, that there's health benefits to getting outside and engaging with nature and, and doing things outside besides the times that you know, you'll be spending with your family and engaging with them or friends or, or even just for yourself of getting away from right our, now our home is now our office. So you never get away from work. Sometimes it may feel like, well, here's that opportunity to get out, get away from it, explore something local and close to home, do a little fishing, um, you know, rehone some of those skills and just, just really engage with people, the outdoors, um, and, and all the health benefits that are associated with it. I mean, it's, it's really hard, hard to beat. Um, I think it's something that's primally in us from way, way long ago. I tell you what, if you want to see one of your children or grandchildren, young ones smile, and they've never fished before, wait till they get that six-inch bluegill on the end of a rod, and they think they've got a whale. And uh, you'll, you'll treasure that picture you took on your phone forever. It's just a great way to get outdoors and relax and maybe get back to life the way it should be. Howard, thank you so much. Free fishing weekend is the 6th and 7th. Get out and give it a try, folks. Even if you got to borrow your neighbor's fishing rods, you don't need a license, and maybe you'll find out how much you missed it. Thank you, Howard. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for all the work you do. All right, and thank you for joining us. Howard Horton from Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back, we're going to have another trivia question to win one of those Leatherman knives on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. This morning, Kyle. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to talk some more um, outdoor survival, and we are going to um, we're going to give away have another trivia question, give away another one of those Leatherman knives, courtesy of Discount Fishing Tackle in Denver. You know, stop by and say thanks to those folks because it makes it so much fun, especially with neat prizes. I want to go back to our original question. Uh, people got it right away that, um, you know, that telling somebody where you need to go. But people loved commenting, too. We got one one uh, one person said he puts a map on the dash of his car with it marked as to where he thinks he's going to be hiking. And he he wants to. Uh, and, and another one talked about carrying. Uh, we talked a little bit about having the proper clothes carried a, a rain jacket with him always. You know, hypothermia is going to be one of your biggest biggest uh enemies in the outdoors even if it's 50 60 degrees out you can once you get hypothermia you can start making bad decisions you you become your mechanics your body mechanics start working improperly you can really go downhill and get in trouble in a hurry and i'm going to share another story with you and this is going to end up being our trivia question uh karen and i um we go occasionally snowshoeing up at rocky mountain national park and one day, it was a really nice day down here. It was a winter day, of course, but really sunny and beautiful. And she goes, let's go do the afternoon. Let's go snowshoe one of the trails. So, okay. And we have our clothing that we wear when we snowshoe. I immediately, I stripped down to the clothes I was wearing, except for my underwear, put on my uh, my outer layer, and we headed out. We don't dress overly heavy when we snowshoe because you sweat quite a bit. And we take extra clothes in the car. We got up to Rocky Mountain National Park. And we did um, a pretty good size hike. We worked it pretty good. And we were both sweating pretty good. Came out. Came out to the road about a half a mile from where the car is parked. As I 
proceeded down that road, I'd taken my snowshoes off, I could feel chills coming over me. I started to shake. Half a mile away, I mean, this is just a few minutes. When I got to the car, I was unable to open the car door. Karen had to do it. I was shaking so bad, and hypothermia was setting in that quick. And I'm an experienced outdoor person. I've been out in 30, 40 below weather, and I let this get to me. Now, what mistake did I make? The answer to the trivia question at 303-713-1043 is what mistake did I make that caused that hypothermia. And now I'm going to talk a little bit while we're waiting to get some answers on that. What if something happens? We've talked about planning. We've talked about clothing, getting your survival kit ready, tell someone where you're going, having a compass and a GPS, um, having some form of signaling with you. Um, We didn't talk much about signaling, but signaling could be fire. It could be a, a mirror. It could be a whistle but have some way of making noise or attracting attention that's easy to carry and doesn't take room. So, because you may be in an area where you're hard to spot if you're, if you're lost or injured, especially if you're injured and immobile. And uh, when I talk about shelter, taking shelter with you, sometimes shelter is just a big plastic bag. And if you can get one of those great big orange or bright colored ones, those are great. Um, Or a blue is a good color too, but get a color that you won't normally see in nature And if you have to, even if you don't put that on, you can punch a hole, you know, put it over your head and it covers you and it'll, it'll give you shelter immediately and keep you dry if it's raining or snowing. But, um, but uh, even if you don't wear it, you can lay that out on the ground and they'll see it from the air. Um, And they not only use airplanes and helicopters, now they use drones. So that could be a very a very uh, important tool to have with you. Now that we did get an answer to the trivia, the answer was cotton kills. I had not taken off my cotton briefs. People don't, you know, a t-shirt, cotton briefs. Normally I change those out and I put on synthetic fabric that um, will wick the water away. And thinking I made the same mistake I'm preaching to you. I said, I thought, well, we're going up for a couple of hours. I'm just leaving these on. I'll put my layers on. They were soaked. My briefs were soaked from the snowshoeing, and they turned cold so fast with no insulation that I virtually within minutes was getting hypothermia. Now, what do you do if something does happen? The first, first thing I recommend is stay put. What we hate in search and rescue is to find out where you were, all right? We don't want to find where you were. We want to find where you are. Now, one of the reasons that I believe that being able to build a fire is the most important thing you can have with you is building a fire people people the things they do wrong they wander around after they're lost or hurt or they try to self-rescue and they panic and they're in they're not making good thought process and, and they're not making good decisions so if you build a fire it does three things for you number one fire is calming we we we, we Uh, we identify with it. We stay with it. It gives that warm, just like sitting by your fireplace. It's going to keep you from panicking. Okay. So you build that fire and now you're getting warmth. It's signaling. That fire is a signal that can be seen for a long way, both the flame and the smoke. And it's keeping you there. It's going to calm you down. And now while you're calmed down, you can make rational decisions. Hypothermia is not setting in. You're staying warm and you can say to yourself, did I let somebody know? Do I have a way to contact anybody? Is my phone working? 
then you can start making decisions on how long you think it might take them to find you and rescue you and make an intelligent decision whether you have to try to self-rescue. But most of the time, staying by that fire is what you want to do, and you want us to find you. You don't want to wander around. But to me, that's why starting a fire is the number one lifesaver in these situations. And, of course, having shelter, having signaling are also important. Food and water are down the list. If you've got water, you want to stay hydrated. Food will make you feel better. You'll be more comfortable. And, but you can go weeks without food before it becomes critical. So those are some tips. We're going to talk some more later on in the end of the second hour. And you never know. we got one more trivia question that could come up at any time. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.